Thank you, God, for the wonderful opportunity of standing today in this sacred place. Thank you for the message and the songs that we've sung. Thank you for the prayers that have been prayed. Thank you for the worship, the lifting of hands. Thank you for all of this attempt at worship. And we thank you, these efforts of worship. And Lord, now we've come to a sacred time in this service when we open the book of life and we read from its pages and we glean from its treasures. And I ask you to speak to us, O Lord, as only you can speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Last Sunday, I quoted a scripture in Romans chapter 6 that has to do with our freedom in Christ. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. Being made free from sin, you became a servant. Now that sounds like an oxymoron there. And uh, sounds like a contradictory statement that you have been made free from sin to become a servant. And the actual reading is slave, doulos, which is the Greek word for a slave. So then you are delivered from the guilt and the shame and the oppression of sin and its consequences and are brought into a relationship where you are a servant, have assumed the role of a, a, a love slave, as it would be. That's an interesting analogy there, that you're made free to become a servant. You're made free from one bondage to enroll in another servitude, another act of serving God. That's what Jesus meant when he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, I will deliver you from your toils and your depleted state of mind. I will bring you to a place of rest, but that rest means that you assume the responsibility of the purpose of God in the world. It means that you assume responsibility for, for the burden of which Jesus said, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. The only reason that God's yoke could be easy, that Jesus' yoke could be easy, is that he pulls so much of the weight himself that the other person doing the pulling uh, does not have to work near as hard. Boy, <laughs> that's, that's some kind of way of looking at that, isn't it? In, in that he does more than his share. I'll tell you what, Jesus does more than his share with me, I promise. His yoke is easy for me because Jesus does more than half the work, I promise you. Jesus says to us, come unto me, all you that labor, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. My yoke's easy. My burden is light. That's because Jesus is the great burden bearer. Amen. That means... That, do you realize that's why he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey? You know, the people that were always seeing the parades, the triumphant parades where the, 
the generals would come back with their slaves and with the, all the spoils of war, and the general would usually be riding on a white horse, you know, and he would have uh, sparkling jewels in the uh, bridle and on the saddle work and that kind of thing, and he, his armor would literally just glitter in the sun, and they were used to a parade like that, so that when they saw a king coming, riding on a donkey. You see, the donkey is a, is a servant animal. It's, it's an animal that works. It's an animal that carries a load. Jesus came in on, riding on a donkey because he is the humble servant of Jehovah. He is the one that rode the servant animal in because he came to serve, not to be served. He came to minister, not to be ministered to. So in all of us, when we assume this rest that he has for us, it's, it's about assuming the yoke and bearing the burden with the Lord Jesus. But the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Praise God. Isn't that great? I love that. Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to be uh, starting and reading today about the, the rest. That, that Jesus gives to every one of us. All of us who have studied philosophy and have studied religion know that those are two entities that claim to get you to a place where you will find relief from the consequences of the human condition and you will find fulfillment and you will find satisfaction. And uh, the great uh, philosopher, for Kierkegaard made, made the statement, I have exhausted all and I have searched it out and I've come to the uh, conclusion that uh, happiness and rest and satisfaction and relief and fulfillment can be achieved through a state of mind that you can think your way into a place of rest and trust and confidence. Now, religions will try to do that too. They both claim that they can get you to a place where you will have a, a state of mind which will be confident, assurance, hope, and relief, satisfaction, and fulfillment. But the truth is, and you and I both know, that peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. Joy is not a thing. Joy is a person. Love is not a state of mind. It is a person. God is love. Jesus is the owner of peace. He said, my peace I leave with you. He said, my joy is in you that it might be uh, confident and that it might produce much fruit. And God's joy, God's peace, God's love, why philosophy can never bring you a rest and a state of mind. God alone can bring you peace. God alone can bring you satisfaction. God alone can bring you fulfillment and relief. Praise God. He is that rock in a weary land. He is the one we go to when life gets unexplainable and when life gets difficult. We go to that rock that is higher than I, for thou hast been a shelter for me. Thou art my high tower, thou art my shield, thou art my sword, and thou art my strength. And the Bible said the name of the Lord is a high tower 
and the righteous run into it, and they are saved. Praise God forevermore. They are saved. And I want to tell you that rest can be achieved for people that otherwise seem to be very busy and very, very laboriously going about their thing, but can be at perfect rest. Rest. Because rest also is a person that is the Lord Jesus. He is rest itself. And you can rest in Him. You can rest in God. And when you rest, there's some good things that happen when you rest. You get restored. You get uh, built up and you get strength. You get revived. You get reinvigorated. Uh, all kind of good things happen when you rest. And Jesus said, if you'll just come to me, I will give you all those things that you're looking for. Invigoration, regeneration, re revival. I'll do all of those things in your life. And it's all a part of this process of rest that he says that you can find in him. Rest that you can find in him. You see, we find that, that notion of rest in the very first book of the Bible. It's in Genesis. And the Bible said God himself worked for six days. He worked for six days. But the Bible said on the seventh day, the Lord rested. The Lord rested. And, and so we have what we call there Shabbat rest. Shabbat rest. What does that mean? That means the seventh day is a day of rest. That means after working, there comes a time for rest. God established that in the first book of the Bible, that you, you work six days and then you rest. And the Bible tells us that after we have, have worked, after we have gone about the business of uh, acquiring and gone about the business of uh, putting in our, our minds and hearts this notion that we serve the Lord, but when we serve Him and work for Him and live for Him, there's a rest that comes along in due time. In due time. You remember in the churches that backslid during the, uh, in the book of Revelation, I believe it is, the Bible said the word from the angel was, repent and do thy first works. Works. Do your first works. In other words, there's some activity that you do. There's some, some things that you do to get to because James made the statement that faith without works is dead. You got to have some works to accompany salvation. Now, works do not bring salvation, but they accompany salvation. Amen. They're a indication that salvation has taken place. They are a signal and an identification to everyone around that I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I've been regenerated. I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. I now belong to God. I'm serving Him. Yes, I'm resting in the fact that I'm serving the Lord. I'm resting in the fact that I'm showing works that are fit for righteousness, that are suitable for serving God. In other words, 
Saved people are different. They act different. They talk different. They, they worship different. They, they, they live different. They go about the whole notion of living this earthly life with a different uh, motive in mind. It's to please him who has called us. No soldier, he said, Paul said, that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. But he said, but his one motive is to please him who called him to be a soldier. Praise God. You see, in this life, it's easy to get tangled up, tied up, messed up. All of those, those things that talk about people who get, get messed up. And what was going on in the early church was these Hebrew Christians. Now that that's a strange adage of words there that Hebrews who were stooped in Judaism and, and, and were steeped in all of the laws and all of the, the, the promises and the Torah and the Mishnah and all the Decalogue and all of those things that pertain to their religiosity. They were really wrapped up in that. And when they heard the gospel, they realized that they needed to turn away from the law because what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent his son. When the law wouldn't work, God sent his son. When the law failed and burned up in ashes, God sent his son. And when these people heard the news as he traveled around the Galilee area and he traveled around in Jerusalem and, and actually preached in Jerusalem and preached in the temple and even cleansed the temple by getting a whip and driving the money changers out and made this open display that, that Moses was, was great and Moses was the lawgiver, but Jesus has come that you may have life. Because the letter of the law killeth, but Jesus is come to bring you life. In other words, the law will kill you, but Jesus will resurrect you. The law will bury you, but Jesus will call you out of that grave. The law will put so many things on you that you won't be able to bear it. Peter said to the to the council at Jerusalem, said you're trying to put something on people that they can't bear. And he said, you can't bear it either. And you're trying to enforce a law that you can't even keep yourself. You know, when we were over in Israel, I've told you about the Shabbat line, haven't I? About how that, that line exists all the way around. And uh, the, the city, and you are allowed to walk 1,000 yards on Shabbat, and it's not yet work, but the 1,001 step means you're working, and you'll get banished for working on the Sabbath day. Jesus got fussed at because he said to a man laying on a pallet that had been there 38 years, Jesus said, get up from there, take up thy bed, and walk. And the Bible said he, 
he felt strength in his ankle bones and he leaping up stood and he took his bed and put it upon his shoulder and he began walking with his bed and first person he met was his pastor. And his pastor said to him, what are you doing carrying that bed? Don't you know this is the Sabbath day? You don't carry stuff on the Sabbath day. Don't you know the law of Moses? The law of Moses says not to do any kind of work on the Sabbath day. And here you are toting a bed. You got any excuse for that? He said, all I know is the same man that told me to get up and carry this bed. The same man raised me up when I couldn't walk a step. That same man brought strength to my body when I couldn't lift a finger. That same man came and spoke peace to my heart and spoke deliverance to my soul and brought me into a knowledge that God cared about me. Yeah, I'm going to tote this bed. Yeah, I'm going to live for him. Yeah, I'll wear the yoke. Yes, I'll bear the burden because I know that I'm resting in the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Why don't somebody praise God with me in this house? But Joe, these people were pretty smart, so they figured out a way to beat the system. That's the thing about laws, isn't it? There's always somebody trying to beat the system. Get you a radar detector so you can drive fast. Beat the system. You find a way. Well, these Jewish people, they just found out and they would take a rope and they would get a thousand feet of rope and they would add it to the thousand that you can already walk. So they doubled the liberty and they could now walk 2,000 because you had a thousand feet of rope and if you're still holding the rope, technically you're still a thousand feet away. And they even got to where they would go an extra thousand feet and they would take some food and plates and sit it down so that it would represent home because there was food there to eat and it would count as a residence. I'm glad I don't have to connive and scheme and sit in a corner somewhere and come up with some system to beat the law. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Condemned sin that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are of the flesh mind the things of the flesh and they that are of the spirit mind the things of the spirit. But ye are not of the flesh brethren if so be that the spirit of God be in you. For if the spirit of God be in you then the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Therefore those that are of the flesh cannot please God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things of the spirit of God. I want to tell you the things of the spirit of God will make you free. And all of that law giving and law keeping was 
all such a burden for these people. And they would they knew we don't need any more of that. We see the hypocrisy. We understand all that. And they turned away from that. But they never could make that final step and get committed to Jesus. They never could make that final break with Judaism by taking a step toward Jesus. And they were halting somewhere between. And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's got all kind of warnings in it for people that are caught between. Never fully made a commitment. Knew that that old life is not what you want. And it's not what you ought to be a part of. But just couldn't make that connection and make that final step to live for the Lord Jesus. I hope that I'm preaching to some people here today that if you're in that same condition, you'll make that step before you leave here today. That you'll say Jesus is right for whatever's wrong. And I need to stop dill-dallying around and I need to get myself committed to the Lord Jesus. I need to get my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, everything that I am, I need to give it to God. And I need to serve Him only with all the intensity that I can muster. Arrest for the people of God. Whoever wants to enter my rest. Well, you know, John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Not as the world gives. The world's got a peace. Solomon looked for it. Solomon said, I'm going to get to the bottom of this whole thing. I'm going to get pleasure. I'm going to get all of this world I can cram into one lifetime. I'm going to do everything I want to do. I don't care what anybody says. And I'm going to discover real happiness and real peace. In fact, he said, John, I kept back nothing that my eye desired. Whatever I wanted, I got it for myself. I had everything I wanted. And he said, I've come to a conclusion. Vanity is vanity. All is vanity. And he finally said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What is the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God. Keep His commandments. What is He saying to us? He's saying, get out of the honky-tonks. Stop chasing women. Get rid of that addiction that you got. Stop all your rat-killing ways. Turn your back on Judaism. Walk away from that. And get yourself to where Jesus is. And say, this is where I belong. Hallelujah. From this day forth, this is where I'll stay. This will be my house. This will be my home. This is me. This is who I am. It's what I'm always going to be from now on. I'm going to cast my lot with Jesus. And I'm at home with him. You see, you've got to leave it and you've got to make up your mind that you're going to live for Jesus. A rest for the people of God. That concept is available for us not only while we live, but it's also when we die. Also when we die. The Bible tells us 
there is a, a rest that remains for the people of God. This Shabbat rest is all about when my earthly toil is over, I am going to heaven for a Shabbat rest. Heaven is just one long day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And that is a time when we will all rest. Rest. The Bible said in Revelation, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. For yea, henceforth saith the Spirit, they do rest from their labors and their works. Follow them. Follow them. You know what that means? That means that all of your loved ones who have gone on before, all the funerals that we've preached here in this holy sanctuary, all of these years, these hundreds of people, the hundreds of times that we've been to the cemetery and deposited our loved ones in Mother Earth, do you know where they are right now? Oh, boy, I've got some preaching to do. You don't know? Are they alive, Brother Owen? Are they, are they conscious? You, you mean they're, they're alive? You mean they're, what, what are they doing? Well, they're resting. They rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Follow them. Oh, what a, what a blessing that is to know that that rest or that sabbatism, which is the subject of the apostle's reasoning and to which he concludes that it remains to be enjoyed is undoubtedly the heavenly rest which remains for the people of God. It's opposite to what the state of affairs is here in this world. When you leave this world, thanks be to God, this old troubled world, we say, God's got a place of rest for you to go to. The minute that you breathe your last breath, the very instant that your heart pumps its last beat of blood, the next instant. We'll put it on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5. You want to shout? Better get your shouting shoes out. We're fixing the shout. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we still have a building of God, and it's a house that's not made with hands, and it is eternal, and it's in the heavens. When this one, when this one won't function anymore. When this one won't work anymore. When this one is unfit any longer. It won't work. It won't happen. And when that spirit and that soul steps out of this house, when this earthly house is dissolved, 
we have another building. We're about to move. We're about to move out of that old building that won't work anymore. That old building that's gotten old and can't walk and can't maneuver. We know that our earthly house and it's going to be dissolved. But we have another building. And it's a building of God. And it's not made with human hands. And it's eternal. It won't ever get old again. It won't ever hurt. It won't ever sorrow. It won't ever be disappointed. It won't ever have any disease. It'll never know a hospital. It'll never see a funeral home. It'll know nothing about insurance. It's eternal in the heavens, and it's not made with hands. Next verse. Woo! Boy, I thank God for shouting, don't you? For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. You mean right now God has got some people in heaven that's already in his presence that's rejoicing? The Bible said in his presence there is joy and bliss forevermore. Joy and bliss and pleasure forevermore at his right hand. We groan because we'd love to have that right now. Look what he says. Earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, our new house, which is from heaven. In other words, if I could have my druthers, I'd rather have my heavenly house. Next verse. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. We're not ever going to be without a house. Next one. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up in life. Glory to God. Next verse. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God who also hath given unto us the earnest, that means down payment, the earnest of the Spirit. Have you got the down payment yet? I said, have you got the down payment yet? Hadn't closed the deal yet. The Bible said this word right here is the earnest of our expectation. We've already got the earnest. We've got the Word of God. We've got the truth. We've got the down payment. We just hadn't closed the deal yet. We also have given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Next verse. Therefore we are always confident. You know what that means? Rest. I am always resting. People say you can rest in the fact that thus and so. You can rest on this. 
You can rest good, brother, knowing this. What do they mean? What do they mean by that? Part of this thing about the rest that becomes part of loving God and serving God, part of the rest is confidence. Confidence. We, knowing that while we are at home in our body, we are absent from the Lord. Long as I'm running around here in my pickup truck, shaking y'all's hands and singing songs and having a big time, I'm absent from that heavenly home. I'm in my earthly home. Absent from the Lord. Next verse. For we walk by faith. That's another part of that resting. You see, unbelief cancels everything. No faith just blots everything out. Everything, rest, peace, joy, relief, fulfillment, satisfaction, all of that begins and starts with faith. For he that cometh unto God must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Brother, it all starts with faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Next verse. We are confident then. Anybody confident in this house? I said, is anybody confident? Are you sure that you're sure that you're sure? Do you know that you know that you know? Have you got it settled in your heart? You got it settled in your mind? Have you got some more deliberating to do or thinking about it? Or have you come to the place that you've made up your mind? Are you confident of this one thing? We are confident, I say. And we're willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Glory to God. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Next verse. Whether we labor, whether present or absent, one thing we're desiring, one thing I'm working for, I want to make sure that I'm accepted by Him. I want to make sure that what I'm doing is pleasing Him. I want to make sure that His approval is upon my life and upon my heart. I want to make sure that I'm resting and confident in what he wants for my life. Oh, that's powerful stuff, and I love that so much. You see, but that fourth chapter of Hebrews starts with these words, let us fear. Is that what it says? Let us fear? Fear? Let us fear? Well, the Bible said, God hath not given us a spirit of fear. All through the Bible, we, we hear it just yelling at us, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Trust God, don't be afraid. Don't worry about that, that'll be all right. Don't be afraid of that. And we're starting out a chapter here that we're going to use for the next few Sundays. And my Lord, first verse says, don't worry, but therefore fear, lest a promise being left us 
of entering into his rest, any of us should seem to come short of it. Now we've gone back to that butts that's wandering around twixt and tween. Now, now, now we're talking to lost people. We're not talking to saved people right here. Okay? That's the key to the whole thing. We're not talking to believers right here. We're talking to folks that are still wandering around trying to make up their mind. We're talking about folks that made up their mind they don't want the law, but they've not yet made up their mind that they want Jesus. So what we're seeing here is he's telling those unbelievers that haven't yet made a decision. Haven't yet embraced the Lord Jesus. Look at that book. He said, you need to be afraid. If you've not accepted Jesus, you need to be afraid. You need to be worried. You need to be anxious because, brother, you're on bad ground. If you're not on Jesus, then you're on bad ground. You better get on Jesus. Therefore, let us fear lest a promise that's been left us entering into his rest. We got that promise that if we'll come to him, we can enter into that rest. But he said, you folks come short of it. What's the Bible say about, for all have sinned and... Did you say come short of the glory of God? That means that everybody that's born into this world needs to make up your mind about what you're going to do with Jesus. That means that everybody that is born of Adam's family has got a decision to make. You, 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 you've left, yeah, but you've got to got to get connected where it is you're going you got to accept jesus boy that's good preaching i love that any of you should seem to come short of it next verse dun, 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 dun. for unto us was the gospel preached anybody had the gospel preached to you boy the best thing ever happened to you is somebody preached the gospel why is that, Pastor? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the, did you say Word of God? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Without faith it's impossible to please God. He that cometh unto God must believe. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. We who have accepted Jesus had the gospel preached to us, the folks that hadn't made their mind up yet, the gospel was preached to them too. So what's the difference between them and us? Let's keep reading. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You mean it's possible to sit here and have it preached and you not hear it? If you only hear with your ears and you don't hear with your heart, you didn't hear it. And he said they're still wandering around trying to make up their mind because they heard it, but they didn't hear it. Why did they not hear it? Because faith was not mixed with their hearing. Is that getting a little too far out for you? I hope I don't mess you up. 
Brother, if the Word of God ought to do anything for you, it ought to put faith in your heart, faith in your mind, faith in your, your, your spirit. You ought to be built up in the most holy faith, the Bible says, encouraged in the faith, not wandering about just trying to make up your mind what you're going to do. I know I don't want that law anymore. I hate that law. I, I, I hate those, those tassels on the bottom of my garment, and I hate that reading and the phylactery, and I hate all that stuff. Man, that's just too much to do. That's too much work. I don't want the works. Well, then come to Jesus. Well, I can't hear that. I, I can't hear that. Come on to Jesus and be a servant like the rest of us. Come on to Jesus and sing the songs of Zion like the rest of us. Come on to Jesus and gather in his name and lift up holy hands without wrath. Come on over here where people that know Jesus and love Jesus worship and praise. Come on and be a part of that. Oh, I can't hear that. I can't hear that. You got to mix faith with your hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Next verse. For we which have believed, we have entered into rest. That is, we who accepted Jesus, as opposed to the ones that are still wandering. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What's he saying? Jesus has done the work. Faith now in what Jesus has done. Faith in the fact that Jesus paid the debt. Faith in the fact that I don't have to work anymore. I can simply just trust the Lord Jesus for the salvation of my soul. I am saved because Jesus died at Calvary's cross for me. I am saved because Jesus' blood was shed and made peace with God for me. I am saved today because the Lord Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Aren't you glad Jesus came to save you? Came to save you. Here we are in that, that chapter 4, just enjoying that. Would you turn back just one chapter to chapter 3 and verse 7 and 8, and then we'll quit. Come on, Olivia. Here she comes. You got it for me? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, perk up, put your ever-loving hand to your ear. If the Holy Ghost is fixing to say something, you need to be attentive. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, don't wait another day, today. Don't even go home before you do it. Don't eat it Whopper Burger. Do not pass go. As the Holy Ghost says, today 
If you hear. If you hear the voice. Next verse. Harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. Today, when you hear the message preached, harden not your heart. Today, when the invitation is given, harden not your heart. Today, when Jesus says, come unto me, harden not your heart. Harden not your heart, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. And now we'll save it for next Sunday, but what he's talking about He's talking about just like it happened with the children of Israel who left Egypt but never could get to where they wanted God. Every time Moses would go into a mountain somewhere and stay longer than they thought he should, they'd make him a calf. Every time God would tell them to do something, they'd do right the opposite. Every time God would tell them this is going to be provided you, we're tired of manna, we're tired of, tired of that. And I might as well tell you, that group didn't make it. That group that came out of Egypt never made it to the promised land, Brother Don. He told Moses, said, take them back in the wilderness and wait until that generation dies out. They're not going to enter into my rest. They're not going to the promised land. Why can they not go, God? Hard heart. Don't believe. No faith. Don't believe. Come on, somebody. He says, don't do that. Don't harden your heart like those crazy Israelites did. They paid a terrible price for it. Don't you pay that price. Today, when you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Let me close with this. On Paul's way to Rome, he came before different governors the first one he appeared before was a man named Felix Felix had a wife whose name was Drusilla and they were governor over one of the provinces one of the Roman provinces of Caesarea Philippi and when Paul appeared before him he told him his story he said I was on my way to Damascus and a bright light shined down upon me and I was struck to the ground and I heard a voice. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And what wilt thou have me do? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? He said, Arise and go to the street which is called Straight and find one Ananias. And he will pray for you and the scales will fall off of your eyes and you will be a great vessel for me and you'll do mighty things and mighty works. Felix rose up and he said, Paul, at a more convenient season, I will hear you again about that matter. How many people do you reckon have sat here and conviction gnawing away at their heart and they said, no, not, not now. Not now. Maybe later. Let, let, me, let me do this and let me get that done. Uh, sometime later, I, I may do that. At a more convenient season. It's not convenient now. Another man he appeared before was named Festus.
And Festus rose from hearing Paul's testimony and he said, Paul, he said, I understand. Paul said, I, I understand and I, I perceive that you believe the gospel that I've just told you. He said, yes, I do. But he said, I, I'm just going to send you on. You've, you've appealed to Caesar and I'm just going to pass that on by and let, let somebody else handle that. How many folks do you reckon have sat in a congregation and felt conviction and, and passed the buck? Passed the buck. Finally made it before King Agrippa. King Agrippa sat on his throne. And as Paul told him of his conversion, Agrippa stood from his throne and he said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. That's the ones that bother me. The ones that I can see on their face almost persuaded. Almost convinced. Almost ready to make that move. What happens there, Pastor? Exactly what that verse says. Harden not your heart. You know, people say, I don't think anybody wants to go to hell or intends to go to hell, Pastor. We've got one person that testifies from hell. It's in Luke chapter 16, verse 21 through 26, I think it is. And there, there's a man that says, Would somebody send Lazarus and let him dip his finger to water and touch it to my tongue? For I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham told him, he said, there can't anybody go back and he can't come over here to you. You can't go to him. He said, well, would you please send somebody? I've got five brothers that aren't dead yet and haven't, haven't experienced what I've experienced. Would you go tell them not to do like their brother did? Would you send somebody back into the world to talk to my brothers and tell them there's an awful place called hell and they don't want to go there? Tell them not to do this. Tell them to make things right with God and get right with God. What a testimony. What a testimony. Hardness of heart. National Association of Evangelicals says this statistic. Of all the people, Mark, that are being saved right now, all the people that are accepting Jesus right now, 80% of them are young people, teenagers and young adults. 15% are young people in their 20s and 30s. Less than 5% of the people that are now being saved are over the age of 50. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying the longer you wait in life, the less likely you are to give your heart to God. Are you listening to me online? You listen to this preacher. Don't you harden your heart against the call of God. You've heard exactly what these people have heard and the Holy Spirit is telling me that some of you are feeling that same conviction. And I want to tell you, don't you harden your heart. You'll do it the last time one day. Don't run that risk. Don't harden your heart. Stand with me, please, all over this house.
There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Do you know that friend called Jesus? Do you know the friend that sticks closer than a brother? Do you know that friend that laid down his life for you? I would say to you today, don't wait any longer. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. If you're here in this house and you're not made up your mind it's Jesus for me, then I want you to come forward and I want to pray a prayer with you before you leave here today. Before you leave here today, you can make that statement. I am 100% committed to the Lord Jesus. If you're watching this preacher on that screen, then I want to tell you, right, look me right in the eye. I want you to know this. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. He's right there beside you sitting on that couch, right there where you are. And I want to tell you, His Holy Spirit is right there convicting you. Don't you let this opportunity pass. You take advantage of it and give your heart to God. Give your heart to God. Say to Him these words, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to You just as I am. I need Your forgiveness. Wash my sins away. Cleanse my heart. And make me a new creature. I accept you now as Savior and as Lord. And I will serve you and I will live for you. In Jesus' name. Whew. Hallelujah. Is there anybody in this house that can say, I am 100% sold on Jesus Christ? 100%. He is the Lord of my life. He is my master. And I am his servant. And I'll serve him till I die. Oh, Satan's as busy as he can be. He's trying his best to get you and me. But there is one thing that I surely know. He's got a mighty long way to go. I'm glad, so glad that God's still got some children who cannot be bought nor sold. Who will serve him till they die? Glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for your touch this morning. Thank you for the rest that we have in Jesus. Lord, as we preach this series of messages, I just pray, oh God, that we will get a grasp on what does it mean to rest in the saving grace of Jesus. Go with us to our homes and our families. Give us an enjoyable day with one another today. 
Bring us back to this house of worship with victory in our hearts. In Jesus' powerful, holy, righteous name, amen and amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you is our prayer. You have a great, great day in God.